Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 28th episode of the PEM podcast. Oh my God. You are hilarious. You probably made all of these cue cards up just for when I flub up. I'm convinced. <laughs> and they call me the funny one. Huh. You know, we've really, I think, Sandy, we have tapped into your media. Like, this is the place really where you just shine you just shine she folks she is not like this in real life she is <laughs> analytical she is very <laughs> you're killing me you're killing me today um <laughs> she never gets my goat she never gets she doesn't even try she doesn't even try but man you point a camera at her and I don't know who she turns into. She is like something else. So anyway, I love it. Let, let, let's comment. just be clear. The reason you're saying all these glowing things is so that I'll keep writing the stories. <laughs> this is not a lie. <laughs> yeah. See, and it was like, okay, you do one. And it's been 10 days. And I'm so far down a rabbit hole. I can't even see the surface. I'm just like, I don't know. I went down this pathway and just never came back up. So um I think I'm much better kind of making it up myself rather than look what I did. I did um this is iced coffee, right? So I saw this on Instagram. So ice cube had too much iced coffee, coffee, clearly. And then <laughs> sweet cream. This is my this is my treat. This is my treat for today. And boy, do I need it. I am telling you. Um oh, I need a little more cream. Um so 28th episode of the PEM podcast, Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast, in case you are like, what have I stumbled into? What the fuck have I stumbled into? Delete. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I woke up at I woke up at six, right? We had agreed to do this <clears throat> um early afternoon. And um uh so I woke up at six and I'm already like 45 minutes behind. So I raced to the gym and I raced through my workout and um uh <laughs> then i race home i grab emmy i race to the lake we hike an, a mile out to the lake we go swimming for an hour um because the only way i can make her swim is to go swim with her so because if i stick to shore she sticks to shore shore so we go swimming we just swim side by side for an hour um and she's awesome i should put something up on instagram with that but anyway um so then <laughs> I race home and uh, where I live, they have not fixed the hard water um, and I can't wash my hair with hard water. So then I have to heat water up and then um, everybody's bored right now. Everybody's like, God damn, get to the fucking point, Victoria. So <laughs> I race through my shower, you know, try and look pretty like with two seconds to spare in the seat and uh, click on and my sister is just refreshed and just looking so pretty just glowing. <laughs> I actually did just wake up like this because I got up and I was like, well, let me do some work, blah, blah, blah. Go into the kitchen, turn on the faucet. No water. Oh shit. What happened? Yeah. No water. The did water main down the street. And they didn't let you know. No, no of course not. Why would we? Why would we let all the neighbors know <laughs> that they're going to shut off the freaking water? Oh so I go running out into the street and I encountered a neighbor and she had gone down to 
talked to the crew and discovered that uh, there was a leak and they had to shut the water main off. So while you're running around exercising and getting yourself all beautiful, I'm like, uh, is there any dry shampoo in the house? <laughs> yeah, that's something I should get is some dry, dry shampoo. Does that stuff really work? Dry shampoo? Okay, again, again, I woke up like okay, this. Okay, okay. So yeah, but no, no, no. Yes. Well, if you say you woke up like that, then you like literally woke up and didn't do anything. So I'm assuming just, your hair just didn't hair as gorgeous as it does right now. All right. Well, uh, yes, dry shampoo does work. Uh, I'm a big fan of Living Proof as a brand, uh, especially <laughs> since I worked for the company at one point. Um, but it's uh, it's the number one of the top selling um, prestige uh, dry shampoo brands out there. So, well, your hair looks magnificent, sweetheart. I mean, looks Thank great. You. Honest to God, I I did not shower today yet. Wow. So. Wow. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I showered. It was a thing. I swam. It was a thing. Um, yeah, I was rolling around on the gym floor today. I, there's nothing worse than like doing burpees on the floor and then standing up and like you're just covered in filth. You're just like dirty. Okay. So let's back up. There's nothing worse than doing burpees. <laughs> you could have just ended with that. They're effective, though. They're really effective. They're very effective. So, um, that's why I like them. I don't like to do them, but I shut up. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Okay. So, um, I want to do, no, we'll do the book first. Okay. So, oop, uh, this is the fifth book in the Abby Cooper psychic guy mystery series crime scene. Um, this was the book where they decided to experiment with the cover. And when they sent me the cover, I hated it. I absolutely 100% hated it. And lo and behold, so did the fans. <laughs> so that's where the experiment ended with this cover. Um, but um, the book was, um, it's funny because I was telling Sandy, okay, I'll do um, crime scene. And then I'm like, gosh, do I remember this plot? Um, so basically what's happening is from the previous book, Abby <clears throat> is severely injured she basically dies, um, comes back to life, um, is brought back to life. Um, and so she's recuperating with her boyfriend, Steady Eddie, uh, Dutch Rivers. So um, she's bored. He's like, you know, just rest, recuperate. And she's like, I don't do that well. Um, as you can tell, I don't do that well. Um, so he's like, well, he was, he's an FBI agent. So he's like, maybe you can work a couple of my case files um, if you're bored. And she's like, yep, absolutely want to do that. So when Abby accidentally comes across a closed file that's dead wrong, she knows she's got to bring the real killer to justice. With an innocent man in prison and no new evidence to free him, her only choice is to go undercover at the murderer's shady mortgage firm, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, as a vision of the crime scene keeps playing in her head, she races to trap the bad guy. Abby realizes that corporate life is even tougher than it seems, and the hours can be deadly. So. Um, Fresh out of college, um, I got recruited to work for a mortgage, a mortgage company. It was a big mortgage company, and um, I'm pretty sure the FBI, after I left, raided it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like they 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 went out of business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody panic. Everybody, you know, everybody hold still. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because um, they were they were shut down. They were really, really shady. And um, it was one of those things. Oh, this is how shady they were. I worked for an actual murderer. That was my first boss. 
Mark Unger. Anybody wants to Google it? Mark Unger murdered his wife. I met, uh, I met his wife. She was lovely. She was absolutely lovely. And, uh, you know, he murdered her in, basically in cold blood, asshole. Um, and he was an asshole to work for. So I'm glad that he's rotting in prison. But there's like a dateline thing about him and everything. Yeah, that was my first boss. <laughs> so, you know, they didn't hire the most scrupulous people at this um, mortgage industry. So it was like the unscrupulous men and then anything in a skirt, right? Were basically the two, um, the two that were hired. So um, I wanted to kind of bring a little bit of that seediness uh, into the book um, and uh, mission accomplished, I guess. Um, so that's that's the book promotion. If you want to know more about my books, uh, please visit victorialaurie.com. Laurie is spelled L-A-U-R-I-E. There'll be a link in the description below. Um, if you are enjoying our podcast, please do ring the bell, hit the like button, and subscribe to our channel. Um, we really appreciate it. And so many of you are leaving just really, really lovely comments. And um, we read every single one. We often call each other and, you know, we'll giggle and laugh or we'll be like, this is so sweet. This is so wonderful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for dropping um, some comments. We're going to be working on a platform um, in the next couple of months to try and have a place where we can have a dialogue with you guys um, and kind of expand um, the conversation. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, Sandy and I are working. Well, it's mostly Sandy. I mean, come on, let's face it. It's mostly Sandy. It's always mostly Sandy. <laughs> she does all the heavy lifting. I swear to God. I'm so fucking lucky. <laughs> um, so we're working. <laughs> you know, the people who are just listening don't really get, okay. So why I'm, I keep giggling is because Sandy keeps holding up these note cards, like nope or um excuse me my dog needs me or i woke up this this way so um she's killing me with these um and, and hopefully she's killing you too because this is hilarious so i have the best anecdote this is my favorite anecdote of all time so far so um i was reading for this woman <clears throat> who had a health issue and she was a little um out of it because of this health issue it really kind of was sort of devastating her um so she wasn't like as on the stuff that was coming through as I wanted her to be, right? I want, like, when I give something forward, I want it to make sense and I want it to click because I'm impatient like that. So um, anyway, so her father came in and uh, really, really animated, excited um, soul on the other side. And um, he uh, kept showing me a newspaper and I had a feeling like he was in the newspaper. So I asked my client, I said, um, you know, uh, was your dad in the newspaper? Was he famous in some way? She said, no. And I'm like, really? I said, you know, other than an obituary, was he, are you sure he was never in a newspaper? She's like, no, he wasn't. And he's like insisting, right? So then he does this, he salutes, right? So um, I'm like, okay, so it's something connected to his military, right? To his service in, his, in the military. So I asked her, I said, was your dad in the military? Yes, he was. And I said, you're sure there was no article written about him in the military? She said, oh, well, after he passed away, I was going through his things and there was an article that mentioned his military service. And I'm like, hmm, okay, all right, well, yeah, okay, that's probably what that is then. Just, you know, spitballing ideas here, but that's probably that. So, uh, so then... So then he makes a reference to his son. I asked her if she had a brother. She said, yes. And then he shows me this teddy bear. So, um, 
you know, this is a giant game of charades. There's no, you know, this is the reason I'm showing you this, right? This is the explanation. There's no words being exchanged. It's just thoughts, feelings, and images in my mind's eye. So I keep seeing this teddy bear. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's attached to a name. So I asked her, I said, is there a, a Ted, a Theodore, an Edward, an Ed, anything like that in your family? And she's like, no. And he's referencing this in line with her brother. And I said, your brother doesn't have a nickname like teddy bear or anything like that. She's like, no. So I'm like, okay, um, well, your dad keeps showing me a teddy bear. And then all of a sudden the teddy bear changes to a mouse. And I'm like, hold on, wait, no, it's a mouse. And then it morphs back into a teddy bear. And I'm like, teddy bear, no, it's a mouse. No, it's a teddy bear. I'm like, I have no idea. He keeps showing me a teddy bear and a mouse kind of morphing in and out of each other. She goes, oh, <laughs> my brother had his, his favorite pet when he was younger was a teddy bear hamster adorable right how adorable is that so um name teddy name teddy so uh yeah exactly so um sometimes it takes a little while you know to kind of get the synapses to fire but i thought that was so genius right like if you'd shown me a hamster i don't know what i would have i don't know what i would have you know uh, interpreted that to be right but the fact that it was a teddy bear hamster and he kept morphing the teddy bear into the mouse and then back and forth. I thought was so clever, so incredibly clever. And then last night, this is the second night I went up, um, last night I was reading for someone, <clears throat> was it last night? I can't remember. Anyway, this week, um, I was reading for someone and um, her, was this her grandfather? I think it was her grandfather or grandmother. No, it was a grandmother. Grandmother came through and kept showing me a rainbow. Um, and there was like hearts all over this rainbow. So I said, well, you know, I know this is going to sound corny, but your mom, your grandmother keeps showing me a rainbow. Maybe she's, you know, like showing rainbows or, you know, if anybody like loves rainbows in your family, she goes, oh, my sister just came out <laughs> LGBTQ on the spectrum. So like just really clever, just really adorable, right? How they, how they communicate. Um, that's what I just love doing the mediumship song. It's so fun because it's a giant game of, of charades. Sometimes, yes, it's very frustrating because, you know, I don't know how to inter interpret some things, right? Or the client is just not thinking in the way that they need to be thinking to put the puzzle pieces together. So yes, sometimes it can be frustrating, but the more I do it, the more like I'm starting to catch on, you know, like, okay, this is a symbol and this is how they are pushing me to interpret that symbol, that symbol. So anyway, I love it. I'm having fun. If you would like an appointment with me um, and uh, to visit with deceased relatives, lost loved ones, or uh, to know what's coming up for you in the next 12 months, uh, please do uh, head to victorialaura.com and click the link for um, uh, scheduling an appointment. There will also be a direct link uh, in the description below so that you can go right to uh, the appointment scheduling page. So that's the anecdotes for the week so i'm done talking now it's your turn this is a great case oh we did have did you read the comment stands where someone was like no. every time you say we have the best case we have the best case this week we have the most you know, she's like you never say this we have the shittiest case this week <laughs> well i'm gonna start doing that because there are some that are very devastating and i should 
preface. This is not one of them, though. This, no, this is, is actually this is so this is a fun, interesting. I won't say good. Very I'll say it's incredibly fascinating, um, and it's one I think everybody's heard of. But the details that Sands you were able to dig up were just fantastic. So um, love it. So, so take it away, uh, sister. So this week, this week's case is about um, the escape from Alcatraz, uh, which just popped up back in the news because the U.S. Marshals. Uh, which I'll explain in a minute, have just released um, some age-progressed photos of these escapees that this case is built around. So um, by way of background, the Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary, or The Rock, was a maximum security federal prison on Alcatraz Island, which is about a mile and a quarter off the coast of San Francisco, California. It was established in the 1850s initially as a military fort, um, and the main prison building was built between 1910 and 1912 to function as a U U.S. Army military prison. In October of 1933, the U.S. Department of Justice acquired the, a portion of the property and transformed the original disciplinary military barracks into a federal, federal penitentiary. After modernizing the building, including increased security, the Federal Bureau of Prisons opened the facility in August of 1934. The three-story cell house included four main cell blocks, A through D blocks, the warden's office, visitation room, a library, and a barbershop. The prim primitive prison cells were small and lacked privacy. Furnishings included only a bed, a desk, a wash basin, and a toilet. The dining hall and kitchen extended from the main building, and it was there that prisoners and staff ate three meals a day together. The Alcatraz Hospital was located above the dining hall, and those who earned privileges were employed in the Model Industries Building and the New Industries Building during the day, to fulfill military contracted jobs such as sewing and woodwork and or performing various maintenance and laundry chores for the Alcatraz facility. Prison operators deemed Alcatraz America's strongest prison as the island location surrounded by cold ocean waters and a strong current from San Francisco Bay made the prison seemingly escape proof. The escape proof theory was famously put to test in June of 1962 when late in the night of June 11th, or early in the morning hours of June 12th, inmates Clarence Anglin, his brother John Anglin, and Frank Morris escaped from the maximum security facility. A fourth conspirator, Alan West, failed in his escape attempt and remained on the island. The group's ringleader was seasoned criminal Frank Lee Morris. Frank was born on September 1st, 1926 in Washington, D.C., and unfortunately, he was abandoned by his parents at the young, young age of 11, leaving him to spend the remainder of his childhood in foster homes. Frank was reportedly highly intelligent with a genius level IQ, and he was convicted by his first criminal offense at age 13. His teenage years were fraught with arrests for crimes ranging from narcotics possession to armed robbery. And then as a young adult, he was arrested for grand larceny, car theft, and armed robbery in Florida. After serving time in correctional facilities in Florida and Georgia, Frank was later arrested and convicted of bank robbery and sentenced to serve 10 years in the Louisiana State Penitentiary. Frank managed to escape that state prison and was on the run for a year before being recaptured while committing a burglary. At the young age of 33, with a long criminal record, Frank was sentenced to Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary on January 20th, 1960 as inmate number AZ1441. Frank's three accomplices were brothers John and Clarence Anglin and Alan West. John William Anglin was born May 2nd, 1930, and his brother Clarence was born May 11th, <clears throat> excuse me, 1931 and they were born into a family of 13 children in Donaldsville, Georgia. Their parents, George Robert Anglin and Rachel Van Miller Anglin were seasonal farm workers. And in the early 1940s, they moved the family to Ruskin, Florida, 20 miles south of Tampa, 
where the truck farms and tomato fields provided a more reliable source of income. Each June, the family migrated north as far as Michigan to pick cherries. And Clarence and John were reportedly inseparable as youngsters. They became skilled swimmers and were amazed their, um, they amazed their siblings by swimming in the frigid waters of Lake Michigan as the ice still floated at its surface. As seasonal agricultural workers, the Anglins were dirt poor, so the two brothers resorted to a life of crime at an early age. After Clarence was caught robbing a service station at age 14, the boys graduated to robbing banks and other local businesses, and usually tar targeted establishments when they were closed to ensure no one got injured during their nefarious activities. In 1958, John, Clarence, and their brother Alfred robbed the Columbia Saving Bank building in Columbia, Alabama. The trio were promptly arrested and convicted to each serve a 35-year sentence initially in Florida State Prison, and then transferred to Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary, and then Atlanta Penitentiary. After repeated attempts to escape from the Atlanta facility, John and Clarence were finally transferred to Alcatraz. John arrived on October 24, 1960 as an inmate number AZ1476, and Clarence arrived on January 10, 1961 as inmate number AZ1485. Alan West made up the last member of the escape party. He was born in New York City on March 25, 1929, and he grew up to be a serial criminal offender with over 20 arrests. In 1955, Allen was imprisoned at the Atlanta Penitentiary for car theft and soon thereafter transferred to Florida State Prison. Following an unsuccessful escape attempt, Allen West was transferred to Alcatraz in 1957 and became inmate number AZ1335 at the young age of 28. These four inmates knew each other well from previous incarcerations together in both Florida and Georgia. And in December of 1961, when they happened to be assigned to adjacent cells at Alcatraz, they began formulating an escape plan under the leadership of Frank Morris. For the, six, for the first six months of 1962, during lights out, the men plotted and hatched their plan to, to tunnel through the walls of their respective cells, build a raft, and escape the island by sea. After collecting discarded saw blades from the prison workshops and metal spoons from the dining common, they crafted a drill from a vacuum cleaner motor. They used their improvised tools to begin widening the holes around the ventilation ducts, which were located underneath the sinks in each of their cells. They, hide it, they hid their handiwork from the guards with painted strips of cardboard. And to disguise the noise from their makeshift motorized drilling in the unguarded utility corner behind their cells, Frank would play his accordion during music hour, which was a scheduled daily hour set aside each day for music to be piped into the prison to keep the prisoners calm. Once their escape holes were large enough to fit through, the men accessed the unguarded utility corner, which was directly behind their cells tier, and they climbed to the vacant top level of the cell block where they set up a clandestine workshop. Here, using over 50 raincoats among other stolen and donated materials, they constructed life preservers based on a design that one of them found in Popular Mechanics magazine. They also assembled a six by 14 foot rubber raft. The seams were carefully stitched by hand and sealed with heat from a nearby steam pipe. Paddles were improvised from scrap wood and screws, and finally they climbed a ventilation shaft to the roof and removed the rivets holding a large fan in place. To conceal their absence from their cell beds, while in their makeshift workshop, the men sculpted dummy heads made from a homemade paper mache-like mixture of soap, toothpaste, concrete dust, and toilet paper. They achieved a realistic appearance by using paint from the maintenance shop and hair from the barbershop floor. With towels and clothing piled under the blankets in their bunks and the dummy heads positioned on the pillows, the men successfully made it appear to the guards passing by that they were actually sleeping. On the night of June 11, 1962, with all preparations in place, the men initiated their escape plan. 
Unfortunately, Alan West discovered that the cement he had used to reinforce the crumbling concrete around his vent had actually hardened, which fixed the ventilation grill in place and narrowed the opening that he'd so carefully created. By the time he managed to remove the grill and rewiden the hole, he discovered that he was too late and his, accompli his accomplices had departed without him. Out of options, Alan returned to his cell and went back to sleep. From the service corridor, Morris and the Anglin brothers climbed the ventilation shaft to the roof. <clears throat> As they broke out of the shaft, some guards on duty heard a loud crash, but because there were no further noises, the source of the commotion was not investigated. Hauling their gear with them, the trio descended the 50 feet to the ground by sliding down a kitchen vent pipe and then climbed two 12-foot barbed wire perimeter fences. At the northeast shoreline on the, uh, the island near a power plant, which was a blind spot in the prison's network of searchlights and gun towers, the men inflated their raft with a modified musical instrument that served as a bellows. At some time after 10 p.m., investigators estimated that they boarded the raft, launched it, and departed toward Angel Island, which was located two miles north of Alcatraz. Officially, Frank Morris, John Anglin, and Clarence Anglin were never seen again. The, the successful escape was not discovered until the morning of June 12th due to their clever paper mache dummy head ploy. Over the course of the next 10 days, multiple military and law enforcement agencies conducted an extensive air, sea, and land search. On June 14th, a Coast Guard cutter picked up a paddle floating about 200 yards off the southern shore of, the, of Angel Island. That same day and in the same general location, workers on another boat found a wallet wrapped in plastic complete with uh, names, addresses, and photos of the Anglin's friends and relatives. On June 21st, shreds of raincoat material believed to be the remnants of the raft were found on a beach not far from the Golden Gate Bridge. The following day, 50 yards off Alcatraz Island, a prison boat picked up a deflated life jacket made from the same material. No other physical evidence, including that of human remains, was ever found. With no further results from their search area, FBI agents surmised that the men had drowned. And while it was theoretically possible for the men to have reached Angel Island, the odds of them having survived the turbulent currents and frigid waters of the bay were negligible. Given that Alan West was the only conspirator not to participate, he was interviewed extensively about the events leading up to the escape. West fully cooperated with the investigation and was therefore not charged for his role. He told investigators that the escape plot included a plan to steal clothes in a car upon reaching land, but no such thefts were reported in the immediate area, furthering the FBI's conclusion that the men had drowned. Alan West was ultimately transferred to McNeil Island, Washington, after Al Alcatraz was deactivated in 1963, and later back to Atlanta Penitentiary. After serving his sentence, followed by two additional sentences in Georgia and Florida, he was released in 1967, only to be arrested again in Florida the following year on charges of grand larceny. While incarcerated at Florida State Prison, he fatally stabbed another inmate in October of 1972. So while serving multiple sentences, including life imprisonment on the murder conviction, Allen died of acute peritonitis in 1978. In 1979, the FBI officially concluded, based on circumstantial evidence and a preponderance of expert opinion, that the men had drowned in the frigid waters off of San Francisco Bay before reaching the mainland. With the closing of their case, the FBI handed over the evidence and case files to the U.S. Marshals Service, whose investigation remains open to this day as the Marshal Service does not give up on looking for people when there's an active warrant in place. The arrest warrant for Morris and the Englands will expire in 2030, when each of the missing men will be at least 100 years old. Since their disappearance in June of 1962, there have been numerous re reported sightings of the three escapees, including Robert Chechi, a San Francisco police officer, said, at, said that at 1 a.m. on the morning of June 12, 1962, he saw an illegal boat in the Bay Area near Alcatraz. 
A few minutes later, the boat left, heading under the Golden Gate Bridge. This led to speculation that the prisoners might have enlisted outside conspirators to pick them up. The FBI dismissed Chechi's account out of hand. In January of 1965, the FBI investigated a rumor that Clarence England was living in Brazil. Agents were dispatched to South America, but found no direct evidence that he was there. A man called the Bureau in 1967, claiming to have been Morris's classmate and to have known him for 30 years. The man claimed he had bumped into Clarence, sorry, Frank, in Maryland and described him as having a small beard and a mustache, but the man refused to give any further details. Family members of the England brothers claimed to have occasionally received postcards and messages from the brothers. Most of the po postcards were unsigned. However, one postcard was signed Jerry and another Jerry and Joe. The family also produced a Christmas card reportedly received in the family mailbox in 1962 saying, to mother from John, Merry Christmas. Rachel, the matriarch of the family, received flowers anonymously every Mother's Day until her death in 1973. And at her funeral, two tall, very unusual looking women in heavy makeup were reported to have been in attendance. Likewise, when George, the patriarch of the family passed away, two heavily bearded strangers visited the funeral home. These men reportedly stood in front of the casket looking at the body for a few minutes, wept, and then walked out. In 1989, a woman who identified herself only as Kathy called Unsolved Mysteries tip line to report that a publicized photo of Clarence England matched the description of a man who lived on a farm near Mariana, Florida. Another woman also recognized the photo of Clarence England and said he lived near Mariana. She correctly identified his eye color, height, and other physical features. A man named John Leroy Kelly dictated an extended deathbed confession to his nurse in 1993. Kelly claimed that he and a partner had picked up Morris and the Anglins in a boat and transported them to Seattle, Washington. Later, under the guise of transporting them to Canada, Kelly and his partner murdered the escapees to steal the $40,000 that the families had collected for them and then buried the bodies in a location in Seattle. No human remains were ever, uh, found by investigators dispatched to the area. In 2018, the FBI confirmed that they had received a letter allegedly written by John Anglin in 2013 declaring Quote, we all made it that night, but barely. In the letter, John revealed that the other two conspirators were dead. Frank had died in 2008 and his brother Clarence in 2011. John wrote that he would turn himself into authorities in exchange for medical care to treat his cancer. The FBI could not confirm the letter's authenticity, and they never heard from the letter writer again. Beyond these various sightings, new circumstantial and material evidence has continued to surface, stoking new debates about whether the inmates managed to survive their perilous journey off the island. In 2003, Mythbusters, an episode on the Discovery Channel, tested the feasibility of an escape from Alcatraz Island, aboard a raft constructed with the same materials and tools available to the inmates in 1962, and they concluded that the escape actually was possible. A 2011 documentary on the National Geographic Channel, entitled Vanish from Alcatraz, reported that contrary to the official FBI report, a raft was discovered on Angel Island on June 12, 1962, the day after the escape, with footprints leading away from it. Furthermore, a 1955 blue Chevrolet with a California license plate KPB076 was reported stolen in Marin County the same day, a claim corroborated by contemporary stories in the Humboldt Times and the San Francisco Examiner. On June 13th, a motorist in Stockton, California, which was 80 miles east of San Francisco, reported to the California Highway Patrol that he had been forced off the road by three men in a blue Chevrolet. A 2014 study of ocean currents by scientists at Delft University concluded that if the prisoners left Alcatraz at 11.30 p.m. on June 11th, they could have made it to Horseshoe Bay, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge, and that any debris would have floated in the direction of Angel Island 
consistent with where the paddle and belongings were actually found. If they left before or after that particular time, however, then the tides and the currents of the bay were such that their chances of survival were slim. <clears throat> In 2015, history spoke to members of the Anglin family about the escape and learned about Fred Brizzy. Brizzy, a reputed con man and drug smuggler, had been friends with the brothers since they were children, and he claimed that he had seen the escapees in Brazil in 1975. Photographs were produced, purportedly taken by Brizzy, including one photo of two men standing next to a large termite mound, who, according to Brizzy, were John and Clarence England. Brizzy's other photos showed a Brazilian farm that Brizzy claimed was owned by the missing brothers. Forensics experts working for the family confirmed that the photos were taken in 1975 and asserted that the two men were more than likely the Anglins, although the age and condition of the photo and the fact that both men were wearing sunglasses hindered efforts to make a definitive determination. Brizzy also presented an alternative escape 30 for the night of June 11th. Rather than use the raft across the bay, he said, the men paddled around the island to the boat dock where they attached an electrical cord, which had been reported missing from the dock on the night of the escape, to the rudder of the prison ferry that departed the island shortly after midnight, enabling the three men to be discreetly towed behind the ferry in their raft to the mainland. An expert working for the U.S. Marshal Service did not believe the photograph of the two brothers in Brazil was legitimate. The measurements of their physical characteristics of the Anglin brothers indicated that they are not the men in the photo from Brazil. However, on, in January of 2020, an Irish creative agency and AI specialist at Identity IDEN-TV used facial recognition techniques to conclude that the men in the photo were in fact John and Clarence Anglin. Did Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers, John and Clarence, successfully escape from one of the most notorious prisons in the world and then go on to live for decades as one of fugitives? In one final attempt to determine what happened to these three inmates, the U.S. Marshal Service released a new age-progressed image of the inmates, Frank Morris, Clarence Anglin, and his brother John Anglin, who would all be in their 90s today. So my sources for this article were Wikipedia, Alcatraz Escape, History.UK, the story behind the Alcatraz Escape, History's Most Daring Prison Break, and People Magazine, inmates who escaped from Alcatraz 60 years ago, pictured in just released age progressive images by Christine Pelsick, June 21st, 2022. So V, what do you think happened? Um, I think Brizzy's account um, is, is the one that's, that rang my bell where he said that they tied <clears throat> off to a ferry that towed them, um, towed them into the, into Horseshoe Harbor or what is it? Yeah. Horseshoe Harbor. Um, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, how clever, right? How clever these guys planned this to the nth degree. I, it, I'm astounded at their ingenuity and um, their use of raw materials, you know, basically just, anything they could get their hands on. I don't know how though Alcatraz uh, prison staff did not, did not uh, note 50 raincoats going missing. <laughs> like, like, we don't know what keeps happening to the raincoats, you know? Um, so bad I, weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got ripped you know? in the weather. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Blew off. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I just, I really, these are three guys that you root, you root for, right? You want them to make it off the, I mean, you don't want any criminal, you know, to get off scot-free, but like, first of all, you know, uh, their circumstances around their upbringing were pretty difficult, you know? Um, poverty is not something to be punished, uh, is my firm belief. And we do far too much of that in this country. 
let me get off that soapbox because I know that's going to invite some. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, I really think that they ended up in Brazil. <clears throat> um, for the two brothers, I know that it stated that they owned a farm and they very well could have. I kept getting them um, around um, machinery. Um, so it wouldn't have surprised me if they ended up um, fixing tractor parts or fixing cars or something along those lines. There was a lot of in the energy and their energy as they got older, um, uh, a deafness, so to speak, of mechanical engineering kind of thing. So, um, you know, they could have owned a farm, they could have worked the farm, and they could have just fixed their own tractors or made their own stuff. But um, there's all this kind of metal machine work sort of stuff around their energies. Um, as for Frank, he feels like he kind of grifted small time, you know, from one thing to another to another. There's a little bit of, um, I mentioned to you, Sans, that there was like a little bit of like, within these three, there was a little bit of like butcher, being a butcher, you know, kind of energy that might have been in the two brothers um, on their farm. Um, Frank feels for me like he kind of wandered. Um, I think he was in and out of South America. I think he was in, in and out of Texas um, because Texas is such a huge state. You can just kind of get lost uh, in it. And um, what I find really interesting is that I don't think these guys um, went back to their life of crime. I think that they were like, okay, that was our last chance to be able to escape um, a prison because if they were sent back to Alcatraz, um, they would never escape again, you know? So, cause they'd be watched like a hawk, obviously. Um, so I think that they finally in the end decided crime didn't pay. They might've done, you know, small stuff but that's also probably a good reason to um, head to a foreign country because uh, you're probably not gonna risk being caught as much as you would in the United States. So I love that they showed up at their mother's funeral in drag. Me too, I, I think, think that's, that's hilarious. And so, like there's a little bit of humor to go with these guys, right? Yeah. Like the paper mache heads, so clever, but like you can see them kind of giggling, right, over this. And um, and then they showed up at their dad's funeral, you know, with long beards. Um, I just think that's adorable. So it's my theory, and we talked about this a little bit. It's my theory that there is a collection of communication, of how to, of um, kind of their memoir, so to speak. Uh, the two brothers that made its way to a family member. And I have a feeling that when the last of the 11 uh, children, offspring, their last of the 11 of their siblings yeah. passes away, that someone I think will step forward with this body of stuff and be like, yep, my two uncles or my two grand uncles made it. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that's a, that's kind of a million dollar idea there, right? Like that's, that's a book that would sell like that. Um, yeah. So if you're out there, a family member, and you're thinking about writing a memoir of your grand uncles, um, do it, do it, do it. Cause I would love to read it. That would be so fascinating. So interesting. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, honestly, I'm glad they made it off of Alcatraz. Alcatraz is like a horror. It was a horror. Well, it, clo it closed a year later um, because of the poor conditions. So uh, right. I, for me, I think a couple things stood out. I, I actually really loved that these two brothers were born a year apart, a year yes. and a week apart, and that they were inseparable. They were yeah. thick as thieves. 
um, through the good and the bad. And I think they just really understood each other. And it seems based on what you're surmising that they even stuck together after they got off the island and, um, you know, tried to build an alternative life. Um, and clearly they loved their family very much. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it was difficult being away from them given that they showed up at two funerals and, you know, expressed emotion and stayed in touch in that respect. Right. Right. Um, yeah. They were well informed, right. Because they would have to show up at the funeral, you know, if they're coming in from Brazil, right. They would have to have received word mom's on her deathbed, dad's on his deathbed kind of thing. Yeah. And to get to the funeral in time. So I think that there was, uh, I think the whole family knew that they survived. I don't think that that was a a secret at all. There there were two additional reports of the, of Clarence in particular being in Florida. Um, uh, Two different women reported they, they had seen him in Florida. So maybe he had, had a place in Florida as well as in Brazil. I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe that traveled back and forth. And I I think the other reason why this actually worked was, um, one of the conspirators, Frank Morris, was a genius level IQ. So mm-hmm. the ingenuity that they brought mm-hmm. to this crime uh, of escaping, it is right. a crime, I'm sorry, but it is, right. um, you know, taking an, a vacuum cleaner motor and attaching spoons to it to figure out how right. to drill, yeah. um, creating the paper mache heads out of scraps that they could find and putting barbershop clippings on yeah. to make it look like yeah. hair. Like, yeah. it's it's yeah. incredible. The, Looking the at paper mache out of soap toothpaste and uh cement dust toilet right paper. yeah and toilet paper yes and painted them painted them to so, look skin like yeah yeah and then like these guys then were far the, too smart to be crooks like they should have had you know like these these would be um industry leaders in some way um today right mm-hmm. um just absolutely hands down you should let them go just for the ingenuity that it took to get them off that island um so. yeah well, there is an end date in sight and that's in, um, eight years or so. Yeah. Uh, so I love that the U S marshal service is like, well, let's put out some age progress photos and see if that gets us anything. Do you think all three men are actually uh, now deceased? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that the letter that they received, the FBI received, I, I think that was legit. That felt legit. You know, that, okay. um, one had died in what, 2008, the other one in 2011. Frank and then Morris the, supposedly in eight oh eight and, and Clarence in 11. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. And it's, it's yeah. nice to like, they're just, that just rings my bell of truth. Um, there's something mm-hmm. about it being, um, it just really feeling legitimate. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, there's something, if it is in fact legitimate, there's something really kind of sweet about the fact that they all kept in touch, you know? Yeah. Um, they all like made sure that they were aware of where each other were and what they were up to and what they were doing kind of thing. So their own little support group. And, you know, these, these men carried the secret that is like kind of one of the biggest secrets in the world, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. definitely in the country, one of the biggest secrets in the country. Um, they escaped Alcatraz and they got away with it. So, yeah. um, you know, kind of sit on that and not to cash in on it, you know, I think is also really, because any one, either one of them, any one of them could have stepped forward and been like, okay, you know, for immunity, I will tell you where these, these other two are, I'll tell you, you know, where that other person is. Um, and so they, there was a solidarity there too, um, a brotherhood. So, you know, yeah. I, I'm romanticizing, you know, these criminals, but I, I really, I want to root for them. You know, I want to, mm, you made it. I mean, against so, all odds, so incredible. So then John would have passed away sometime between 2013 and, and today. 
uh, yeah. of cancer, of cancer. Likely. Yeah. I think he passed away uh, fairly shortly thereafter. Um, okay. there's a feeling like he was pretty far gone at that point. Um, and I think it was less, you know, I want to trade what I know for cancer treatment and more, I want you to know, um, that we did survive, you know? Yeah. And the other two are dead. So yeah. 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 To law enforcement. So, um, gotta hand it to him. That's very well, clever. Yes, it was, uh, it was an amazing escape. And I think, um, I think the reason why it's been so vocal that they didn't make it was because the FBI was so quick to dismiss all the additional evidence that suggested that they had made it off the island or it was possible. Mm -hmm. um, they declared that they had drowned and that was sort of, sort of where they stood firmly. And right. that left the U.S. Marshal Service with, okay, your arrest warrant will have to last until X, Y, Z. So Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the FBI has never been wrong. <laughs> uh, they have on occasion, unfortunately. Just too I have nothing to against the FBI. I have nothing against the FBI. But there are times even in recent past that they've been very, very wrong. So we'll just let that slide. Anyway, um, seeing this was so fascinating. Thank you so much for um, yeah. writing it up as always. You're amazing and I love you so much. So um, I'm trying to do your job. <laughs> I'm trying to do your job and failing um, at writing some of this stuff up. It's so hard. <laughs> Um, so I love next, how like week, you you like you finally are like after I don't produce anything you're finally like fine Victoria here <laughs> yeah it's a waiting game here who's gonna yes. win not me <laughs> I'm not going to win this I swear I I like uh, should we mention the one that you gave me should we tell them what I, what it was no. Okay. So I, I think that uh, next week we're going to do one on D.B. Cooper because this is a theme of different men who have escaped impossible situations and it remains a mystery about whether or not they did or didn't survive. So last week, last episode was about the West Point cadet who disappeared. Here we have Alcatraz and next week we'll do D.B. Cooper who was um, not real, not his real name and uh, he hijacked an air, air uh, commercial airline and um, parachuted out of the plane with um, a large amount of money. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not you think he survived or not. And if he did, what did he do? I don't have any kind of, <clears throat> I know the case and I don't necessarily have a definitive answer yet. Like my intuition isn't going, yes, you survived. No, he didn't. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of feel, I'll tell you what like I feel. You can wait next week. Yeah. Yeah. Next, next week. week. So, and that'll give you Victoria more time to spend <laughs> down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Climbing out of the rabbit hole. <laughs> I should have torn left of Amokoiki. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And speaking of rabbits, I went and bought more plants, planted them. Yeah. Rabbit gate. And rabbit gate. Rabbit gate. And so far, I've not seen Bunny. So I either planted uh, plants that Bunny doesn't like or Bunny has moved on. Either way, so far, the garden looks really good. And we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Let's just, let's have... just say, state that Sandy has not seen the bunny. And that does not mean that the bunny has been harmed. The bunny is probably right. living a wonderful bunny life out there somewhere, somewhere else. Yes. 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 Eating someone else's $150 in flowers. Right. 300 <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I went back to the, the nursery and I'm like, ah, rabbit, eat my stuff. And the, this elder woman behind the counter goes, oh, you're the fourth customer that's complained about that. And I'm like, <laughs> stop selling fucking plants that animals eat. Hello. 
idiots. And then all the different things that people say. Just take your note cards next time. Just hold them up. Yeah. Just be like, nope. I woke up like this. (laughs) Um, No, people have suggested Epsom salt, crushed eggshells with vinegar, um, different types of things to put around your perimeter of your garden. I'm like, I have a dog. I'm not interested in sort of enticing things to eat when I'm putting down. So we'll just hope that the flowers I have now put into the garden are not interesting to bunny. And, uh, you know, see, that's another, that's another rabbit hole pun intended that I could go down is trying to research what kind of plants bunnies don't eat. Let us, let us not do that. Ha, let us not do that. (laughs) And on that happy note, (laughs) I love you. I love you too. So much, so much, so much. So thank you again, Sandy. Um, yeah. All right. Well, hope, hopefully your water will come back on. I'm going to go take a nap and have some more of this delicious iced coffee. Um, Sounds like a plan. Yeah. All right, baby. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Yes. See you all next week. Thank you for tuning in.